Welcome back to Reply Guys, the leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us. I am Kate Willett. And I'm Julia Clare. How are you, Kate? I'm good. So th- this morning's interview was so much fun. We got to talk to uh, Ken Klippenstein, and he is so fun. We've had him on the show before when we were talking about uh, DHS throwing people in vans. Um, classic but, classic yeah, DHS shit classic yes um, but this morning we talked about his reporting on Amazon which we've been talking about on the show for a couple weeks now yeah. but it was really cool to get to do uh, a little bit of a deeper dive with him on what his findings were and also what the process of reporting that story was like which is really interesting um, Ken is known for uh, suing the government for FOIA requests and we talked about that and we we we've, yeah we've uh, we've mentioned that Ken is is uh, our resident FOIA king yeah um <laughs> absolutely well uh Julia I've been thinking about you this week because the world has been shaken up by uh, a great <laughs> controversy uh, about milk. about oat milk yes <laughs> yes okay here's the thing uh so and by the world we do just mean um twitter um yeah so there was this there was this woman who tweeted about how like i can't believe oatly created a a sugar bomb cut with canola oil and said that it's good for you or whatever. And the thing about that is Oatly and oat milk in general, like Oatly does have canola oil in it, which is weird. And it is part of the reason it like makes it creamier. And it is part of the reason why it like tastes so good, but they also have a version of it with no canola oil. Here's the thing like it's no worse for you than a lot of the shit that people put in coffee which is mostly what people do already is put like that's how they use oatly to begin with is putting it in coffee and also it's like dairy milk is still so much worse for you than that everyone was complaining about the sugar in oatly dairy milk has twice as much sugar i saw Oh, can I just say really quick? I saw that article and people were comparing oat milk to Coke. And it took me like a full 15 minutes to realize that they meant Coca-Cola and not like people were like <laughs> secretly drinking oat milk in the bathroom at parties and not telling me, you know, getting, getting hopped up on Oatly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what I do. Um, just absolutely railing lines of Oatly in the bathroom. Yeah. Okay. So the person who, um, yeah, it was just like a random person who tweeted about this, but it, it went, it went like semi-viral and they're saying, yeah, if you put 12 ounces of Oatly in your coffee, like if you have a, a 12, 
12 ounces of oat milk. Yeah, that of course is, but who is doing that? I mean, maybe specifically just an oat milk latte, but people are, I don't know. People are so wild anytime. And then it, it also, um, I saw in the quote tweets that there were all these people who are like, you know, your Jordan Peterson variety, uh, all meat diet folks being like, see, plant-based is a lie and it's not healthy. <sighs> I'm so, I'm so tired. I, if you're putting 12 ounces of any milk in your coffee, you need to grow the fuck up. I know. <laughs> what is this? A fucking hot chocolate? You're I an adult. Know. You're a goddamn, a goddamn adult. I yeah. no, I completely agree. Um, also, it's just like, I mean, at this point, we have so we have so little in this world. Uh, we have so little joy left. Vegans or just people? Both, but no. Yeah, I mean, vegans are pretty. Uh, I don't want to say that we're a joyless bunch, but our definition of joy is. <laughs> is more flexible <laughs> i'm not like a big oat milk person i have had oatly before especially the chocolate kind is pretty good but wasn't there like a another controversy with them recently i mean yeah they're like basically they went from like this little kind of indie brand to being massively popular uh and then they sold their company and so now they're a big they're, they're a big, bad corporation like anybody else. Of course, they're of course, they're bad. Um, but also, I was thinking about this. I mean, people act like this is some big like fucking Oatly conspiracy. Do you like we I grew up in the 90s. How many fucking got milk ads did we see like all of this stuff that talking about how like basically saying telling people that like kids can't grow strong bones without milk without dairy milk all this stuff and also i i, I just like the amount of hold that the dairy and meat lobbies have on our government is actually it's something that we we haven't really talked about but it is pretty staggering that's like those ads were so so disgusting it was it, it was they basically looked like it was just like celebrities celebrities with, with, with like a thick, on them. Yeah. yeah with a thick cum mustache on them being like got milk um so yeah anyways i'm despite my my how low energy i sound right now i usually do have more energy than this and this is not a, a reflection of vegans not having energy i'm just tired from the world <laughs> i've known a lot of vegans i've met a lot of vegans in the bay area and you know i've even known vegan athletes it's not uh the, the stereotypes are not true vegans right. can be strong vegans can be strong <laughs> i am 511 i'm very you know i uh i'm extremely swole i just get ripped in the gym that's are you going life. back to the gym now? No. Are you, 
Oh, I'm, I'm like, when do we get to go to the gym? Like I've ever been a person that goes to the, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's the saddest thing I've seen in all of quarantine is people lined up outside of a gym. That's waiting. very sad. Isn't I, that the worst thing? That's the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. I have a, I have some little five pound weights at home that I've been working out with doing my little like punches. I don't know who, who I'm going to fight, but. Oh, but it's going to be someone. It's going to be someone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, okay. We both like picked the same story for this week that we wanted to talk about. I think just because it's so funny um, it's so funny and gross and also as as kate and i were, were saying before we started recording it has been kind of a slow news week um but that has really cleared the runway for us to talk about mad gats uh Matt, isn't it gates gates gats i don't know I mean, do we care we don't I care think it, I, i'm pretty sure it's gates uh, i mispronounce a lot of republicans names because i just don't try to learn them yeah um but yeah basically uh so matt gates is uh is a member of congress from florida of course he is and when he was in the florida state legislature uh there was a bill going through um that had pretty overwhelming support um that would you know outlaw what has come to be known as revenge porn um and the bill's major and almost singular opponent was matt gates there were actually there were two votes against it and uh yeah just two votes against it um from the washington post six years later the now congressman accused of having a sexual relationship with a 17 year old girl and sharing photographs of nude women with fellow lawmakers the sponsor of florida legislation says gates opposed it because he believed recipients of such images could use them however they wanted Mm -hmm. i feel like you have an obligation if someone that you are not with anymore sends you erotic pictures you fucking delete them when the connection is over in my opinion that's ethics yeah i've actually 100 percent. yeah i've actually really never i've never been uh, a big uh, erotic picture sending person myself purely out of fear of this yeah and i don't think like oh it's like such an invasion of privacy and then once it gets i mean a lot of this happens a lot of uh, times as well. Those pictures get posted on the internet where they live forever. Yeah, I will. Not, I I'll take dirty pictures, but only torso down. No, if torso there's down. if there's titties in it, there's no face in it. Okay, that's smart. I mean, I think that if anybody ever tried to revenge porn me, I would just like lie. I would be like, those aren't actually my titties. Unless they right. look great, then right. I would do it. And then you'd be like, hell yeah, that's me, baby. <laughs> yeah, I delete I delete all uh, pictures of any, any sort of, you know, person who I'm not actively in a sexual relationship with anymore. Um, and I hope that they do the same for me. And, you know, I believe that I'm behaving ethically, but I will tell you this morning I was thinking about it singing about this trope that men with small dicks have huge egos mm-hmm. and i really feel like had i saved my pictures i could have 
kind of wholeheartedly dismantled this stereotype because I've slept with a lot of medium guys who have huge egos, right? Like I oh, think yeah. that, I, there's plenty of men with medium dicks out there who they're going off. <laughs> also, yeah. Also, I, th- I think the thing is, is that men, a lot of men writ large have huge egos, you know, the whole, that's what, uh, that, that phrase, big dick energy, that's someone with a, a big ego. I feel uh, like big dick energy is like a calmness to it. But it's like, but there's like a, there's like a confident chaos under the surface. Maybe, I don't know. One man's trash is another man's big dick energy. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> um, I think that I, I don't know. I, I, man, I'll tell you one story here. I believed someone to have a small dick before I had sex with them. Didn't have a small dick, but they themselves kept referring to themselves as having a small dick, I guess, is a joke. <laughs> but so whenever I was around this person, I was kind of interested. I kept making supportive statements about like, hey, like, it doesn't matter if you have a small dick or whatever. <laughs> and he was like, why does she keep bringing this up? <laughs> but, you know... I don't care how uh, how big your dicks are, or how small your dicks are, whether you have a dick at all. It's it's irrelevant to me. I'm a pansexual person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. but, but um, yeah. Anyway, back to this Matt Gaines story. Uh, to me, this guy is like, I mean, he's just he's humiliating himself right now. Um, and uh, I mean, we we haven't really talked about him on the show, but it was common knowledge that when he very first uh came into the house of representatives he was dating a girl who was in college like a a college student this is just a i mean i don't know every any guy i've I've ever known or kind of been acquainted with who is like that age but only dates girls under like 23 i'm like what are you what are you doing but also i know exactly what you're doing which is you're you are just getting in on the ground floor before uh anybody before girls know better Yeah, before she can call you out on your shit. I saw you tweet that and I saw some people like people got really fucking people get so mad whenever there's like age discourse, age uh, difference discourse online. And it's like, yeah, there are exceptions to this, you know, there, there, of course, there are. There are always. But like largely my largely my point stands. Yeah, the exception proves the rule on this one. And the you know, there was this this one fucking grad student lady who got mad at me and was like you are stripping women of their in their early 20s of their agencies uh women in their early 20s are changing the fucking world and i was like okay great lady all i'm saying is 
you're not fully your brain isn't fully developed until you're 25 yeah no it's not and And also you think that like when you're 25 and this is i mean i i don't know if this is true of every person but if it's it's true of a lot of people like you know the the way that you are being treated by partners of your age group is oftentimes not that great because Mm -hmm. You know, people in their early 20s sometimes are not that mature. I'm sorry if uh, this is, you know, controversial to anyone, but um, I certainly wasn't. Yeah. But I mean, so the 25 year olds kind of like, you know, it's a time in people's lives where, you know, people are not like their empathy has not fully developed, not just like emotionally, like that, that part of your brain isn't done. And uh, your decision making. Yeah. And people are, you know, impulse control. Yeah. All these things. People are just like not that nice to each other sometimes. So I do think that sometimes like you people can uh, impress people in their early 20s just by like the bare minimum and i've definitely seen dudes exploit that that's what i'm saying i'm i'm not saying that women in their early 20s are stupid or don't have agency or whatever obviously i'm not saying that you fucking jackals all i'm saying is there are people with nefarious interests who exploit the underdeveloped brain of someone who is in their early 20s or late teens. And I'm sorry, like a 19-year-old and a 17-year-old have more in common cognitively than they don't. It's like, I'm not saying that like a 19-year-old is underage. Obviously a 19-year-old is legally of age. But like, it gets really dicey and gross having these conversations. I don't know, uh, like some the people who want to die on the hill of like age of consent discourse. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. I, like, and why is it like? Yeah, it's like libertarians love the age of consent discourse, and uh, this like it's lib feminist grad student lady loves the age of consent discourse. I don't know. Uh, the two genders, libertarians and liberal feminists. <laughs> oh, man. Well, there's just, you know, there's so many, so many, so many gross guys out there. Watch this transition. But you know who's not one of them? Ken! <laughs> <laughs> He's a real gem. He, we love him so much. Uh, again, the FOIA king himself. We're so happy that he that he stopped by. Uh, we always love talking to him. I was not on this interview because I couldn't find my headphones. And uh, that's where my life is going right now. So, but I found them. Uh, and that's how I'm talking to you now. I apologize in this interview. I was on this interview. So doing better than Julia right now. But, <laughs> yep. Um, I was on the interview, but uh, there's definitely some cat screaming in the background. And I, you know, I assume that you have uh, made your peace with that if you're still a listener of this podcast. But, um, you it's know. Par, par for the course. Par for the course. All right, folks. Um, here we go. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, we'll be back later this week with a patreon episode and also uh next wednesday we will be back with a regular episode thank you so much for listening to our show bye hello and welcome back to reply guys we are here 
today with repeat Reply Guys guest, who is an all-time listener fave, Kyan Klippenstein. Welcome back to the show. Hey, happy to be on my second time. I need a challenge coin or something. Yeah, uh, well, I'm trying to think because you, I feel like you've been through enough uh, challenges this month with your <laughs> reporting. You've put out some like, there's there's been a lot of articles. I, uh, I want to start with your reporting on Amazon. Um, you are actually, uh, you broke the pee bottle story. <laughs> And the internal memo. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah. So there had already been reports circulating um, about Amazon workers urinating in bottles, not just in the U.S., but in the U.K. as well. But what was different about um, what I I was able to find was um, internal documentation showing that um, not just that it was happening, but management was well aware of it and that it was so commonplace that they they had um, formulated actual formal directives in place for how to deal with it. And so in one of these emails that I got, um, it's a regional manager um, notifying uh, people under her that I think it was, this is the third time that we found not just urine in bottles, but people defecating in bags in order to save time to meet their quotas, a uh, third time in a month. So that gives you a sense of how common this these kind of practices are. And that's in the warehouse, not just drivers, this was, as they're saying. This um, I found this practice take place both in warehouses, uh, but particularly among uh, what are called delivery associates, so the people that actually uh, drive the boxes out. And so when you talk to them, they say, yes, technically we get a bathroom break. However, we have a quota level that's so high that you're just not going to meet it unless you're um, cutting corners and doing these sorts of things. That is incredibly fucked up. And yeah, so Amazon... For a couple weeks there, they were really going hard with their Twitter presence, and they tweeted back, I think at Mark Pucan, like, peeing in bottles. I can't remember the exact tweet, but it was like, peeing in bottles, why would you believe this stuff or something? Um, Who is doing their social media strategy? Why are they doing this? Yeah. So this is funny. I I talked to a lot of people for this story, dozens of people, including people in... uh, pretty high levels of the company on the corporate side. And everyone I talked to thought it was completely insane. I couldn't find a sin. Usually when you're investigating for a story, you find a range of opinions. Some people are sort of angry. Others are kind of like, ah, oh, it's fine. You, you know, you get, you get, a, and you kind of try to get a sense of what's going on. With this, uniformly, everyone was like, this is nuts. We don't know who, and what's interesting is they didn't, it, that didn't actually come from comms. I had people in comms leaking me stuff and telling me things. And they said that um, those statements were actually bypassing their formal, uh, they have a, um, protocol for you know how they have to get sign off for things and whoever it was was going around behind that um, I, my understanding is it's someone in senior management that just unilaterally rammed these statements through and everyone in comms thought it was insane Vox reported that this was Jeff Bezos himself um, I wasn't able to get insight into who it was specifically but that's certainly consistent with the level of seniority that I was told the person doing it would have to have so it really might have been Jeff Bezos himself tweeting that pee shit oh my god Jeff Bezos. So he's not the CEO of Amazon anymore, but what is his role in the company at this point? He stepped back, um, but he, you know, will always have um, clout. And, you know, these guys are control freaks. I'm sure he's still hassling uh, management with his vision and everything for the for the company. 
Um, vision. <laughs> Jeff Bezos's vision is, I think, to bring us all to space, as I understand it. So it's a little concerning how their visions, these billionaires' visions, all seem to converge on this idea of um, us being intergalactic serfs, just like, uh, and they're the pharaohs, and we're just building these, uh, just we're these peons, like building these pyramids for them in some other planet. Yeah, yeah. intergalactic serfs. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's. Um, <laughs> The space billionaire trend is very concerning. Um, <laughs> so, okay, back to your reporting. Um, you reported uh, on the um, like the Amazon FC ambassadors that we see on Twitter, and I, I think I've seen those folks, and I haven't known if they're bots or real people. What is actually going on with those folks that we see Amazon FC ambassador? Yeah, so every one of those are real people. I thought that they were bots too, just because of um, you know how much their interactions just resembled some kind of automated program or something. But every one of those is a real person, a real employee uh, that's paid to do these things. And not just that, um, the documents that I was given about this program, which they have a code name for, it's code name Veritas, because the idea is their employees going out and telling the truth about the company, and we're going to oh show you God, how it really so is. Oh my God, that's so lame. So lame. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They have a code name, like it's like they're uh, like it's Jason Bourne or something. They have this whole secret program for it, and so these guys are actually handpicked for this. They specifically pick people for. Uh, I think I'm quoting from the document. It said um, their their um, outstanding sense of humor. They wanted really funny people, and so the idea was they're going to do these sort of sassy clapbacks at people like uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, who's mentioned like his name shows up in this, these documents like a dozen times. And so the idea is they're supposed to do these kind of windmill dunks back at uh, people, detractors saying, you know, pay your employees better or treat them with more dignity. Um, and oh so, my God. yeah, these guys are handpicked. And at one point in the document, it talks about them doing a pilot study. It's kind of funny. They said um, a pilot study indicates that we might want to pick people who haven't been here particularly long because they tend to be more enthusiastic about the job. Had <laughs> all sorts of telling little uh, lines like that. Yeah, I saw one of the Amazon FC ambassadors tweeting something like about how the union was bad. And she's like, I barely am able to pay my bills as it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't afford union dues. And it was just like, so come on, you know? Um, That's so funny yeah, because I, they're they're not supposed to say anything about that stuff. So um, it, there's this part in the documents where it's like, we're empowering Amazon ambassadors to speak your truth. And, and But then at the bottom, it says, here are some topics you're not supposed to talk about. And one of them was, do not say anything about unions. <laughs> Don't respond oh, to any really? tweets about unions. Yeah. <laughs> so you can speak your truth, but within limits. <laughs> Damn. So, okay. So kind of like to the to the bigger picture here, we've heard a lot about the conditions um, in Amazon fulfillment centers and for drivers over the course of your reporting. What is the picture that you've gotten of what life is like working for Amazon in the fulfillment centers or as a driver? Well, uh, we're talking about um, surfs building pyramids. It's not so, it's not so different. Um, talking to these guys, I knew that, you know, they had been urinating in bottles because again, there had been reports circulating, but I had no idea the scale and the prevalence of it. I talked to multiple drivers who said a day doesn't pass that they don't have to do this in order to meet their quotas. So well, they're doing this every single day for months and months on end. I talked to women who said they had gotten UTIs from having to hold it in. Um, oh my God. There are multiple stories that you can go and find in you know respected outlets where Amazon deliver delivery people 
are, uh, you know, racing out of their car and having to shit in someone's lawn because they can't hold it in anymore. And it's caught on their, like, um, you know, home surveillance system or whatever. And every time these stories are reported, there's never that labor context provided. It's always kind of, whoa, look at this weird, crazy thing that happened. It's never like, I wonder why they're doing this repeatedly. And now we yeah. know because they have to. They just can't meet their quotas without doing it. That's so that's so terrible and it's so frustrating. Um, and, you know, I mean, like, it, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's obviously the thing that would most help this would be uh, the unionization effort if they were. You know, I know folks are able to are voting on um, a union in Bessemer. Um, what is the status of that? What do you think the likelihood is that they will be able to unionize, at least in that warehouse and maybe across the country? Well, the vote just ended on um, Monday, and um, I would say the likelihood of it succeeding, certainly it didn't hurt to have <laughs> Amazon just faceplant with all these crazy uh, responses to Senator Bernie Sanders, Senator, Senator Elizabeth Warren, Representative Mark Pocan, in a way that uh, seemed to enrage a lot of people and uh, beyond that, drove an entire news cycle discussing their labor conditions. I mean, I can't think of a better gift to fall into the laps of the union organizers than what the um, Amazon senior executives did over the last um, couple of weeks. I mean, these tweets were so crazy that I had one, one of my stories was an Amazon engineer actually reported the tweets thinking that the account had been hacked. He was like, this oh can't be us. Yeah. He's like, this can't possibly be a legitimate thing. This is so crazy. <laughs> You know, I've heard that worker abuse, like, persists even at the higher levels of Amazon. Like, I've heard the New York Times um, at some point has reported on them firing people for having cancer or being pregnant. Um, it, it seems like there's an abusive work culture, like, through pretty much all levels of the organization. Totally. There's. I remember reading a New York Times story and researching these things where it talks about someone, and again, this is oddly in corporate, people that went to elite schools and have, uh, you know, relatively privileged backgrounds, talks about people in their offices just sobbing under the pressure. And, um, you know, that was consistent with what I was told uh, talking to folks. I mean, this, um, I can't think of a better embodiment of this kind of, you know, psychotic uh, drive for, you know, efficiency at all costs where you're just wringing productivity, every drop of it out of workers in this than this company where they have a surveillance apparatus now that helps them do that. I mean, one of the chief, one of the um, big concerns of people, particularly the delivery people, was these sophisticated surveillance systems being put in their cars. So they're telling me, so now not only do I have to, you know, pee in a cup to make my quota, I've got to do it away from the camera so they don't catch me and so I won't get in trouble for it. So it's kind of like, I don't know what to even say. It's just like some sort of dark comedy dystopia movie or something, you know? <laughs> it's absolutely horrible. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think of like uh, what in terms of you know people who don't work for Amazon. Um, like most people use Amazon at this point, especially in the pandemic. Um, what do you think should happen to Amazon, or what are some suggestions that you've heard? Like should this company be nationalized? Um, should uh, people stop using it? I don't know. In what way can like the, the average person um, who does not work for Amazon engage with this? I think the most pragmatic thing that can happen is uh, support these union efforts because um, Amazon has so much money. It's a 
you know, by some estimates, $1.5 trillion company. Bezos is the richest, you know, known richest person on the planet. Um, they have so much money that they're able to lobby government to uh, structure, you know, it's the fox watching the hen house. Um, they are able to, uh, you know, pull the levers of government such that the people that are supposed to conduct oversight and regulate them are not going to be able to do that effectively. So I think organized labor is your best kind of most practical, pragmatic solution here. Um, but, um, you know, that's something that has been happening. They've been trying to organize unions in Chicago recently. The NLRB um, found that uh, Amazon had retaliated against those attempts. So this is not a one-off thing. And whatever happens with this, that's not the end of it. Um, all that being said, they are also antagonizing, uh, you know, people like Sanders and Warren, people who are very prominent um, members of the Senate who have important regulatory roles. Government is also a way that you can um, you know, bring some pressure to bear. But again, I think unions are really the going to be the, they're terrified of it. When you talk to people in the company, they say the reason these crazy responses are coming out is because they're freaked out and they don't know what to do. And so they're kind of overreacting. You know, it's like they're, they're kind of like, oh God, uh, you know, let's swing the sledgehammer and stop this thing or something. And it's a reflection. It's crazy, but it's also a reflection of that you're getting near power. You know, you're getting near something they really care about. They don't want to give up. They don't want to lose control. They don't want to have workers have some kind of vote or some kind of say in what's going on. So I would say just keep pushing on that front. I I have read about incredible efforts on their part to stop the union from succeeding in Bessemer, including changing the stoplights in the town so that people could not make it to the meeting. Um, what have you heard about? Amazon doing to oppose unionization? Yeah, one of the biggest complaints that I heard both from, um, uh, you know, fulfillment center people in the warehouses and uh, people in corporate uh, was frustration with their taking, they took down an entire web directory for everyone's contact information. You can't find someone's phone number, email. It's a huge headache and it's causing problems just in day-to-day -day work, much less unionization. But they all thought that this was an attempt to, um, hamper the kind of freedom of association you need to be able to organize and to, um, you know, tell your workers, here's what a union is. Like, here's why it's probably a good idea. Let's talk about it. They can't do that anymore because they took down that entire uh, internal directory and they only did it in the uh, couple of weeks coming up to this. So people seem pretty convinced that that was related. Another thing was um, they told me that there were um, these big wall, like plastic walls they would erect and claiming that this was an anti-COVID thing, but again, something that restricts freedom of movement so you can't talk to people around you. A lot of soft things like that that I don't know how you would prove, but people seemed very suspicious about what the motives behind it was. And uh, how are union organizers getting around these things? How are they communicating with people um, that you know that they work with? Or yeah, these they're very resourceful. I mean, um, you know, things are bad uh, in a lot of ways, but. Um, human interaction in some ways is is easier now because of the internet and because of the ubiquity of phones and things like that. So um, there are a lot of tools they can use to kind of bypass a lot of these headaches. Um, but they're a resourceful bunch. They've been having to figure out these kind of problems for years and years. It didn't start now. Um, but um, yeah, they seem, to, they seem to view this is the moment. I mean, this is a vote that's taking place in the Deep South, a, re a region that's you know, historically hostile to organized labor. The impression that I get is that if this vote succeeds, um, in Alabama, this is going to send a message to all the other um, unions, uh, particularly in in, in uh, blue states where it's easier to organize. It's like, whoa, if they could do it, what are we doing? We should do this too. So I think it's really important. 
What are the obstacles to unionizing in red states? I know right to work laws. Um, what else makes it so difficult? Exactly. It varies by uh, state legislature, but all sorts of games they can play to just hamper. I mean, you described stoplights and things like that. Those sorts of things become harder when you have a state government that, again, I'm not an enthusiast for the Democrats by any means, but, you know, they, they have some... They have some component of, you know, big labor in particular money that 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 makes it harder for them to do those sorts of things. So all sorts of all sorts of little weaselly ways that they've that they've, you know, developed and come up with to try to hamper efforts. Bernie Sanders actually went to Bessemer. I saw some footage of him. Are there any uh, any other prominent politicians that are supporting this effort? Oh, definitely. Um, to my astonishment and a lot of people's. Again, I'm not, you know, a huge enthusiast for Biden, but uh, he came out and he posted a video and, you know, I would like to see the wording, the language stronger. He said he supports people's right to unionize. That's distinct from saying people should unionize, but still that is like unprecedented. I can't think of any Democratic, I can't think of any uh, president that said anything like that in my lifetime. And again, that's not, oh, Biden is so great. That's speaking to um, the uh, changing uh position at the table that labor has. Labor is starting to um, get more power. And uh, part of that is the conditions are so bad that it's a really tough <laughs> sell to people like, oh, you don't need to have collective bargaining. Everything's great. It's like, what are you talking about? There's a huge pandemic. Everyone's losing their job. It's clearly not great. So, you know, a sort of silver lining to a lot of this stuff is it creates a very easy pitch uh, to workers. And I, th I think that's reflected. I mean, for the president to come out and say that it gets the most powerful company in the world and uh, one which you know, it's not like a partisan Republican kind of company. Um, it's, not, it's not like the MyPillow guy, you know. Uh, yeah. Th that's like really significant and, and, and speaks to what I'm trying to say here is not Biden's great. It's like um, the ball is really in the air here. Like they could, this could succeed, you know. The Obama administration was tight with Amazon. Um, totally. Is, what, what do we expect from the Biden administration there? It's, I think, again, I'm critical about Biden in all sorts of ways. Uh, the foreign policy seems much worse. A lot of things seem worse. However, um, their position on um, domestic economic policy, and particularly labor, labor, is much less bad than Obama. Obama was really pro-business uh, to an extent that I think was ideological and went beyond the necessity of you know, what a president does to attract money and stay in power. Um, for whatever reason, I think... Uh, my own impression is Biden probably saw, you know, Bernie Sanders came in second. He represented a whole lot of, and, and, you know, and he was able to perceive that, wow, if I can tap into that, um, that power base, um, you know, that, that will probably help me. That's my guess about what happened. Cause if you look at the reporting, uh, Bernie Sanders has said before, you know, or people in his orbit, they say, you know, when we call, uh, Biden answers the calls, I think he understands, again, I don't think this means he's some saint. I think it means he knows where the power is. And if, when a guy comes in second for the primary, and then uh, that happened too in 2016, you'd be a fool to ignore that and not try to use it to some extent, you know? Yeah, that ma that makes a lot of sense. Um, and is is slightly encouraging in a way. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about the PRO Act and what that would do? I don't know as much about that. I know it's extremely important and this is gonna be a huge boon to labor and that this is again something else that's up in the air we don't know what's going to happen this is not a foregone conclusion like i think there's plenty of reason to be unhappy and and you know i feel pessimistic at times too uh but there's uh legislation 
this is a perfect example. Um, I can't remember the details, but it, it just, knowing labor people like in the unions, this would be a huge, like they describe this as the biggest piece of legislation in, in 50 years in terms of making it easier for them to organize. Yeah, um, it's, I, I definitely, it would be, I one thing I think about a lot is like, uh, there were, you know, so many leftists were able to kind of come together and mobilize for the Bernie Sanders campaign. And now, you know, we have some issues that are really important, like uh, the PRO Act or um, $15 minimum wage. And it feels hard to get people to kind of coalesce and you know, take massive action on something, um, probably because you know, people are doing so many different things at this point. Um, I, I don't know. This is not that's not a journalist question, but <laughs> do you have any thoughts on like how to kind of get people aware and to support this, some of the, some of the things that people can do at this point, even in the depressing Biden administration? Um, if they wanted to push um, the the pro act, I would just look to what I mean. We have a form of representation in the government now that we never did, which is um, sort of the um, not just Sanders. But the uh, Progressive Caucus, which didn't exist during Obama and didn't exist during Bush, you know, I'm old enough to remember when it was just one undifferentiated mass of of like Pelosi's, you know, and that's yeah. Again, I'm not. Ha I would. I want everything to be much better and have labor have a lot more power. But it is different, you know. I mean, there is a um, uh, there is a wing of the party now that represents these concerns. So look to them uh, in terms of you know, or look to the labor unions, or uh, I mean, there's all sorts of different groups working on these things. Um, and the tactics change according to what the conditions are, but, um, you, you know, they're scared. I, I know, I know this from talking to the Amazon people, they would not be scared if this was something that wasn't going to happen. Maybe publicly they're going to act like, oh, this will never come to, cause they don't want anyone to, to, you know, um, uh, get the idea that they can go and push for it. But I, I'm telling you, they wouldn't be doing the things they're doing if they didn't think that there was a chance that this could, that this could come to pass. I mean, nobody tweets about pee when they're having a normal one. Like, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's just not something that you do. It's not done, you know? Right. <laughs> um, okay, so I want to switch gears um, to talk about some of your other reporting for, for a moment. Um, so one thing that I've seen a lot on Twitter is that you have been involved in uh, suing the government for uh, FOIA requests. Can you explain a little bit about what that is, what FOIA is, and why you're why you're suing the government? Yeah, so FOIA stands for Freedom of Information Act, F-O-I-A. Um, and this law allows you to uh, request uh, basically any government record, and uh, they have to give you a copy of it. Now, uh, there are a number of exemptions, and things can be blacked out, redacted. Um, for example, if there's classified information, if there's um, you know per personnel information, health records, that kind of thing. If there's law enforcement sensitive stuff, um, but the idea is, yeah, you you uh, you know our taxes paid for the government to um, create these records. Government you know derives its legitimacy from the consent of the governed in theory, um, and uh, so because of that, these records belong to us. So you should be able to ask for them. And the way the law is written, they have to give it to you within 20 days or 30 days if they invoke a 10 day extension. So that's pretty fast. However, that's not how it plays out in real life. In real life, they have these huge backlogs. And uh, sometimes, I mean, I have requests I've been waiting five years, six years for. Um, and so at that point, sometimes your only recourse is to just take them to federal court and say, hey, look, it says 20 days or 30 days, and I'm on year two. What's going on? And every time you do that, it's usually a pretty easy case because the judge is just, I mean, the law is not very complicated. The judge is 
yeah, it does say 20 days. What's going on? And then they give it to you. So that's pretty much. And what's cool about it is when you win your case, they give you back your attorney's fees. And sometimes um, uh, they pay the attorney uh, for how many hours they put into it. And these are such open shut cases that, you know, it's hard not to win. So I'm and now I finally have a platform and some money. So it's just like I've been doing it repeatedly. You know, like, why wouldn't I? (laughs) You'll win every time, you know. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny. So um, I'm trying to think what what uh, types of things have you requested? What type of information? Oh, all sorts of stuff. I mean, during Trump, it was um, I requested a lot of stuff from the Department of Homeland Security. That was what I came on to uh, talk about the first time. Oh, yeah. So Customs and Border Protection, the crazy uh, deployments um, to uh, different states, to blue states, to to crack down on protests on Trump's behalf. Um, I mean, anything and everything. You can use this for anything. I mean, this isn't just a journalist tool either. Like just an ordinary interest. Like if you, if there's some meeting you want to know about, even at the state and local level, the city council, you can request meeting notes and things like that. So um, it's one of the best kept secrets, I, I think, in in in, uh, in in government records law. Yeah, I've never really thought about requesting a government record, but maybe I'll do it, you know, just uh, just for fun, right? Particularly at the state, <laughs> particularly at the state level, it works a lot better than federal. Um, you know, I've often done state requests where you get it back a day or two later and that's like way quicker than the federal level they tend to be less paranoid about uh oh god like if this comes out what are the political ramifications going to be so um certainly at the state and local level i always encourage people to to um, make use of it if there's something that they want to know so i want to talk about another story that you recently reported uh and this one is pretty heavy. Um, you reported on, um, a sexual assault case that, um, happened in the U S military. And I was just, my mind was blown by that story. Can you give a, a quick summary of that? I know it's really, really upsetting. So yeah. So that. at Fort, at Fort Sill, there was a trainee, um, and you know, trainees are generally very young. We're talking 18, 19, 20 years old. I don't know the individual specifics in this case, but she filed a report alleging that she had been sexually assaulted by 22 other service members. And when I was first told this uh, from a source of the Defense Department, I thought, this can't be right. Like, I know sexual assault is a problem in the military, no question. But that number is so high. Like, I don't want to, perhaps he misunderstood. Maybe it was 22 people knew about it or something. And then, so I take it to someone else that I know. Um, to verify because my big fear in a situation like this is that I get a detail wrong and then they use it to cast doubt on the on the um, victim you know that's the worst case scenario is I fuck something up and then um, her case is seen as oh you know things got exaggerated or whatever so I run it by yeah I run it by another guy I know in the Pentagon um, who has um, a a different he has access from a different side to this kind of thing and uh, he verifies it, tells me the exact same number. And then at that point, it's like, Jesus Christ, this is this is exactly what the first person said. So then um, I report it and I'm racing because this is a Friday afternoon. And my, and I hear from people inside that they're working uh, the, the um, Defense Department with some media outlet to write a sort of watered down version of it so that that preempts coverage of the real thing that happened. So once you have a a kind of pretty, a gussied up story that doesn't look as bad. You give it to the New York Times. Times writes the big story, and then everyone just copies that, and then the real thing is like 
they're like, what? The real thing doesn't get any mention afterwards. So I'm, I'm rushing to try to get it out before that. Fortunately, I succeed in doing that. And then at that point, it's just like, everyone is just shocked, just like me. Cause I didn't, I, again, I know this is a problem in the military, but just the numbers, not just 22 people assaulting her, but in groups, apparently there was video of it that they were passing around, like true detective type shit. You know, I, I don't even know what to say. And um, so what I'm being told is this is a massive uh, headache. I didn't report this, but uh, President Biden got briefed on it. Like they're, the, the military is terrified of this coming out because it's going to speak to, there's no way this was the only thing. If 22 people are talking about something, as a reporter, I know once three or four people know something, there's a good chance of it's getting out. If it got to the point of 22 people knowing about it before it got out, there's some, I think, structural, I think there's some rot deep in the culture of, of at least that base, you know, Absolutely. if not the military generally. Yeah. Um, that's, that is, that is absolutely disgusting. Um, is the military or the Biden administration, the Pentagon, like, is anyone taking action to, uh, I don't know, to do anything about this? Case? I think this is going to be a hard one to ignore. Um, after, um, they, they're all calling it Fort Hill or, uh, they're all calling it, uh, Fort Hood 2.0 and Fort Hood refers to another similar case. Um, so things have gotten, things have improved in terms of the public pressure on the military to do stuff about this. So I, I th there is a, there is a criminal investigation. What I'm being told is it, it is actually being like, they don't seem to be slow walking it. Um, it does seem to actually be a serious thing. So as long as the public continues to, you know, voice its dissatisfaction, it's going to be hard for them to ignore it. And I, I do, th my impression is that it's as bad as it all is. Um, at least from the perspective of um, willingness to talk about it, that's improved a lot. Uh, I talked to older service members that were like, you could never say a word about this, you know, b um, before kind of Me Too and, and, and the kind of cultural shift that we saw. Well, uh, man, that is just, that is definitely one of the most upsetting stories I've ever heard. Um, and uh, I, I I don't know. I, I definitely hope that, that, that case is uh, treated um, much better than, than I expect it actually will be. Um, so one thing that is kind of consistent across your reporting, and I, I know obviously you can't talk about details of this, but you have, you've mentioned that you have like sources that like work for the government and will just like tell you stuff. So I, yeah, obviously I know you can't go into like who and what, but like what, what motivates somebody who like, is, is working for the government to leak to a, to a reporter such as yourself in, in some cases. There's a host of different reasons, but what I found is often just sincerity. Uh, this has been um, the most spiritually resonant part of the job to me is to see that even people who attest to be, you know, I'm conservative and, and claim to have these views that I would think are crazy or, um, you know, whatever, they can set all that aside and see that something is wrong. And even if it's wrong in a way that doesn't fit their political ideology, they do something about it. Um, it's not always sincere. There are cases of, um, you know, people playing politics and backbiting and, and you know, trying to strategically leak things to um, advance their careers. That's all true. But it's it's really common that it's just they feel bad about it, you know, and, and um, that in a way has been very it was sort of revelatory to me because I had a much more cynical view of, of how people operate. Um, I mean, as awful as all the stuff is that I'm reporting in a, in a funny way, I've, it, you know, I, um, people's professed political views 
often are sort of skin deep. People will do things that would seem to be in contravention of what they say they believe when they just see something for what it is and they have some kind of moral um, compulsion to do something about it. And, that, and to me, that's encouraging. Yeah, I, that's definitely... That's definitely encouraging, and I mean, it's it's definitely a really good thing that um, you know that this information is coming out. I know you've done a lot of reporting on DHS and have had sources even from within DHS leak stuff to you. Um, I'm wondering, like, what DHS looks like under Biden versus the uh, Trump administration. Have you heard any changes, or are we basically dealing with the same monster? Certainly the leadership is less insane, um, but the culture of a lot of these agencies is so partisan. So if you look at um, Customs and Border Protection um, and uh, ICE, for example, particularly the immigration um, parts of DHS, they're like openly partisan Trump Republican people. And, you know, there's a lot of speculation that they're trying to undermine Biden to the extent that they can with some of these um, statements about the, you know, migrant situation. That's not to say that the conditions of the migrant facilities aren't horrible and everything. Um, but in addition to that, you've got these sort of paramilitaries, which I know that is, a, uh, you know, seems like an inflammatory thing to say, but I don't know what else to call it when President Trump can just send um, Border Patrol agents to um, put down protests in a deep blue state that doesn't want them there and says, no, we don't want federal troops here. And he can just do it anyway. So it's, that seems to me like a paramilitary. But um, in any case, that sort of um, lawlessness um, it exists too. I mean, if you, you can, there's plenty of data on the um, rate of, uh, you know, uh, corruption uh, and people fired. It's like off the charts, even for law enforcement. And law enforcement has all sorts of problems already. Um, and you add to that this intensely uh, partisan character to these agencies. Um, it's going to be limited what a president, particularly Biden, who I have to be frank, doesn't seem like he cares a whole lot about this stuff. This, these things seem to be on autopilot. The new DHS secretary certainly a big improvement over the DHS secretaries that President Trump had. Um, that's true. Um, however, he just doesn't seem very interested in it. He's focused on, um, you know, domestic economic uh, stuff, COVID. He just, he, everything seems on autopilot as far as I can tell. So there hasn't been a whole lot of change, not for the worse, but also not for the better either. Yeah, I mean, definitely we're still seeing stories about um, children and facilities that are definitely not COVID safe and look a whole lot like jail um, doesn't doesn't seem to have changed uh, too much under the Biden administration from what I can tell. Um, uh, so um, in terms of like um, your reporting at the intercept, are there any other stories that you feel like are a little bit um, undercovered that you would like to uh, that you feel like more people should be should know about talk about you know whether it's something that you've reported or or any other stories that you've seen kind of fly under the radar recently no you did a good job hitting them all i think we hit like <laughs> five of them which is like I, <laughs> i've been in kind of warp speed mode here so i sort of forgot some of the details as i was recounting it <laughs> damn well anyway ken um i just want to say uh thanks for your great reporting um thanks for your tweets too you know you've uh 
<laughs> he brought some important tweets like, uh, late, ooh, late, what did you say? Like, ladies, it's a red flag if he likes Amazon or something like that. Or, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> another, another reason I'll never work for the New York Times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to learn how to be one of these uh, Amazon ambassador type uh, posting styles if I, if I want to work for a place like that. <laughs> oh man well i don't know like barry weiss like brett <laughs> well, stevens worked for the new york times so yeah if you want to be yeah no if you want to be right wing that's fine <laughs> but as soon as you say anything about labor or women's rights or whatever then it's like whoa <laughs> yeah yeah you can talk about cancel culture all day exclusively and really not talk about anything else besides cancel culture and you somehow still get hired by the new york times it's funny but, how those uh, rules work huh <laughs> yeah it's pretty stupid so um where can people find you on twitter and uh, find your work yeah i'm just at ken Klippenstein. uh if you uh work for any agencies or, or institutions i cover uh, my signal number is in my Twitter bio. Uh, it's an encrypted app that you can send me a, a message securely on. Awesome. I love how like, <laughs> you're always like, get always, in touch I've, with me. Sources, get in touch with me. I That's have awesome. No, yeah, I have, I have no uh, shyness about, about pimping my, my signal number. I do, I do this in like virtually every show. <laughs> my, my friends are making fun of me. It's like, you should get a bumper sticker and like a t-shirt that just has your signal number <laughs> Yeah, like the little things that you make, like, are you thinking of leaking? <laughs> yeah. just, I should put those on that? the, I want to put those on the Amazon buses that they have some Amazon buses that drive the people to the fulfillment centers and just have yeah. it be like one of those personal injury lawyer things, yeah. but just like, just like my signal number. <laughs> yeah. I have like, I have a lot of people gotten in touch with you from those things. Oh, to I mean, um, it varies. Uh, if it's like um, federal intelligence agencies, it's much less because those guys are all paranoid and there's, you know, a different culture. But with the Amazon thing, once I put out a call for tips, my phone was unusable within minutes. It was just oh, so really? many people were because so many people were angry. They're like, they're full of shit. We all are doing this and they know it. They're lying when they say that people aren't urinating in bottles. So yeah, my phone was, I, I still have like, probably dozens of texts I haven't even had a chance to go through yet. Oh, man. Well, Ken, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you. And uh, we will include your recent stories in the show notes. Um, thank you so much. And uh, we'll see you online. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. If you like the show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash reply guys, where we have a catalog of over 25 bonus interviews with renowned writers, journalists, and comedians with an additional episode uploaded each week. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's. And I'm at O Julia Tweets, O-H Julia Tweets. And Twitter is where you can, of course, also find our reply guys. They are always with us. Bernie, take us out. Walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land.